In the beginning there was nothing. And then, there were movies. The ancient human creation that served as time capsules of the past no longer exist. In the year 3000, the world is empty and sad, obsolete of the entertainment once made on celluloid. Now, two best friends have decided to dust off those relics from the past and power up their flux capacitors to discover the truth behind this way of storytelling and share it with the world. Join them today in this effort. Join Film Club 3000! Wayne, you don't get it. Lorraine is not like the other girls in there. She is a nice girl. I beg your pardon? Nah, I didn't mean it like that. Oh, I hate to be the one to tell you this, but ain't none of them nice girls. You like that bite at the end there? Yeah, I did. <laughs> Welcome everyone, this is Film Club 3000, a podcast exploring the history of filmographies. We are your hosts, Cameron and Kamari, and uh, each week here we take a deep dive into a collection of films to explore the origin, the trajectory, and ultimately the truth in these subjects. This is our inaugural series, Final Girls, an exploration of women and sexuality in horror right in time for halloween <laughs> i'm so my favorite my favorite holiday my favorite month of the year your favorite month of the year is that because it's your birthday <laughs> it's because it's my birthday yeah absolutely <laughs> let's talk about a little bit about like why we chose this topic like why do we choose final girls you know i mean i think that we're both like ultimately fascinated by tropes and things that you know have become popular and also like we both have a personal connection i guess at this point to one of the like very first final girl films i would say are ones that like one that really created the trope so like kamari and i went to college together and we used to <laughs> watch um texas chainsaw massacre every halloween like every october leading up to halloween with our friend group and come to find out that is like one of the seminal final girl films right so i think that just that you know us finally getting together and doing this podcast it was a perfect opportunity as well as like, you know, October coming up. I don't know. I, I guess for me, like, I feel like horror, horror as a genre is kind of what m made me get into the like love of filmmaking and, and, and film. I think it was like my, my really easy, like in to film. Um, I think it is a very easy in for a lot of people because it is, it's, we'll talk about this later, but it is such a alternative version of, of um, filmmaking, I think, or people see it as that. Um, but I think uh, the final girl trope is a really interesting way that people have decided to talk about things like sexuality and and feminism, maybe the ob feminism. Like we'll talk about if if it really even is a feminist trope in itself, the final girl. You know. Um, yes, and um, even you speaking to like horror films are like being our horror films being uh an entryway for you into film i mean if you think about it like they're really an entryway into like the industry like they're typically some of the lowest budgeted films right like oftentimes you think about like the blair witch project project that movie was like just people in the woods like it had basically no budget right 
Um, I mean, we've made a horror film before <laughs> with what a thousand bucks, like <laughs> <laughs> on on a very low budget. <laughs> yes. And so I think, but I also think there's something charming about that. And I think that people recognize that as like a medium and it's very accessible in that way, right? Uh, it feels like something that we can do. Uh, and so you see a lot of, I, I think- It's very, yeah, very, very achievable. Yeah, it's achievable and accessible for sure. And also, you know, it's just fun. Like it's fun. It doesn't have to take itself so seriously. Like it's a great way to- you know, I know not all people like horror films, and some people really can't sit and watch them, but, like, they're so fun, I think. They're a great time. Um, let's talk a little bit about the the history of the final girl trope. I know you have some information, like, from Carol J. Clover. Yeah. She's written a lot about it. She's the one that kind of coined the phrase, right? So Carol J. Clover, is she is attributed to having coined the phrase final girl as far as, like, what that part is in horror films and um and so she wrote about it in a couple of essays it's like famously in her novel men women and chainsaws which is like an exploration of like how horror films came to be she talks a lot about slasher films and that is kind of the the film that you see final girls in um and yeah i mean i'm fascinated by her study of the final girl i think that she has an interesting psychological like evaluation of them as like a trope and as characters and then also like she she is so specific about how like the final girl is meant to be the flip of the killer like it is the person that the killer most identifies with it is the person that like is being like most specifically pursued oftentimes like and when you think about horror films of the past, oftentimes the killer is a man who exhibits some form of like gender dysmorphia or confusion or whatever, or someone who has like an inappropriate or like complicated relationship with sexual relations is like how the killer is oftentimes created in those horror films. And so then you have the flip of that, this final girl who is this typically like virginal goody two shoes type or like bookworm type person you know the sole survivor of these pieces it's really interesting it's super interesting to the way that i feel like the trope has evolved over the years because i think before the proper introduction of the movie that we're doing today which is x like in in x i think that is such a different version of of what the final girl is you know and oh we talk God, about yeah. her being virginal virginal and pure and like uh kind of kind of this idea but that is you know she maxine is her own her own person completely yeah. and it's very different than than a lot of the images she's not like a lori strode you know what i'm saying like it's 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 unique but it's fun and it's different and it turns it on it turns it on its head yeah but in its in its own way i kind of feel like it deepens the 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 connection between the killer and the final girl you know like i mean gosh in x it's literally the same actor mia goth plays both Maxine and Pearl like how can you get more connected than that and they have such a specific relationship in the film I've got a couple um I've got a couple things here okay. on a little checklist uh that we can kind of I have my own checklist kind of keep, which I love that we both did that mark of <laughs> oh oh I love that we'll compare checklists this is kind of some of the some of the things that have been closely attributed to two final girls throughout the many portrayals yes in film um the one that I have is them being virginal, yeah. I, which I think is a little bit of an outdated trope, but a trope nonetheless. 
a unisex name, which is I think is really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, being brunette, I don't know what that is, but a it's lot of so them are specific. brunettes, I guess, as a as a parallel or as a um juxtaposed to like the the blonde uh sexual sexual character that usually is in these movies as well. Right. And then, like you said, a shared relationship with the killer um is another one that I think we see pop up a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you think about um in Carol J. Clover's book, she talks a lot about Halloween and the relationship between Laurie and the killer and that and how like in the first film he has a connection to her because he views her in a similar light to like his sister and his sister is like the first person he ever killed because she was having sex in their parents' bed when he was a child. And so that sent him off to the same asylum. And then years later, he's escaped and he sees this girl who's like about the age that his sister was when she killed him or when he killed her. And he instantly is like attracted to this person. And like she is she ends up being the final girl in that film. And then in the sequel, you find out that she actually is related to him and it's a whole thing. Um, But there is like always this very specific fascination relationship. And it tends to be like something to do with like major mommy issues or like some kind of female person in the killer's life <laughs> it all goes back to mommy issues it's all like what's up with that why is it always the mom's fault that someone look like i also <laughs> watched pearl right while we were while i was like thinking about this just to kind of get some context for x and it's literally that whole movie is just mommy issues when you break that down is that like a little misogynistic in itself because a lot of the creators of, the, of these films are men that's something interesting to think about because the whole the final girl trope in itself is something is, is something that is argued is it feminist is it not feminist but a lot of the people who are overseeing these stories are men they're writing it they're directing it historically yeah our lists are very very similar i think like the only thing that i really added to was that there always seems to be or there needs to be a very specific series of like the final girl is being chased cornered wounded like there is some kind of like always some kind of extended scene of her running away from the killer and then um Mm -hmm. she also has oftentimes in films she is kind of watchful or paranoid or is like one of the one people in the group that is kind of like something is off here like she has a sense of that and then um just her being an intelligent and like resourceful person in the group i mean because there's a reason why she survives right (laughs) like even if it is kind of luck like i think that you can kind of attribute i guess we need to say big like spoiler alert right like obviously we're going to talk about this movie but even like be going deep in this movie (laughs) yeah but like even with x like i think that you can kind of attribute her survival to a little bit of luck right like luck luck she just has i i think something that's so clear with her she has this this undeniable drive yeah absolutely. you know from the like like she's like i want to make my life the way i'm, I'm going to make it You're like nothing can stop me yeah um she's a star. and she has that which i think she's a star <laughs> you know i don't know like she she you know she has that since from the very beginning and i think she's not gonna let some old lady and some old man get in, get in the way of her of her yeah, story absolutely i think it's really I interesting guess when i say luck what i mean is like the literal like she almost gets shot the only reason this woman gets taken down is because of the kickback of the shotgun you know what i mean like that sure yeah and like the gun like going or getting not having any bullets it's like everything worked in a way that she should have been dead you know but that is that's the trope fate fate was on her side yeah she's the survivor (laughs) she's the sole survivor She's, she's the final girl she's the final girl 
Yeah. So I guess we should uh should dive into into X. Well, X is a movie uh directed by Ty West, came out in 2022. Um a little synopsis is the film follows a cast and crew who gather to make an adult film on an elderly couple's rural Texas property but find themselves threatened by the homicidal couple. <laughs> Just that's that's a very brief way to put it. Classic. <laughs> I feel like this is a wild movie. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a wild movie. Um you did some research. It was shot on a budget of one million dollars, which I think is interesting. We talk about how cheap cheap horror is in making that is a very small budget um in today's standards. Uh and it grossed eleven point eight million dollars in US and Canada. So good for good for them for making back their money. <laughs> I saw this movie in theaters when it came out with my brother. So like it's kinda it is one of those things too, like you kinda want to see it in on the big screen, or at least I do. I, the, the first time I saw this movie, I was in like a random hotel in springfield missouri i just had it on and i and my roommate will which is a good friend of mine maybe future podcast guest yes. um he was also in the room and i just had it on the tv kind of as, as background noise because i heard a lot about it and i i just remember the pure shock of these elderly people murdering this group of young people just really I was I was attached alone by that by the by the shock. I think that's what Ty West does very well is he he gets you with a with a really good like sinker. You know, like it's like this is a this is my concept and this is the shock and and the horror of it all. And I'm gonna get people to have you know put their butts in seats because yeah. of the concept alone. I think that's really I can commend him a lot on that. I do have to also kind of bow in appreciation to the respect given to our 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 love. Texas Chainsaw Massacre like you think about it's a movie set in Texas oh, yeah. it's very clearly like has a very similar setting and I do think it's a bit of an homage to that even that first like opening scene um of like Absolutely. the farm I think that it's very aware of what it's taking from that movie and how it's kind of flipping parts of that movie um well that's what that's what Ty West says I mean he says that he and we'll talk more about his career but he's he's a he's like a child of horror like this is what he does and he he says like Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a big influence, of course, um, and he wanted to make a movie where people me- immediately thought of that, you know, the, the immediate thought is oh this is a Chainsaw Massacre type of thing, but then he wanted to flip it on his head and and give you completely thing than what you think it's going to be. Yeah. Um, so I I love that he actually played into those expectations of people and made something unique. And it's kind of interesting thinking about, I feel like Texas Chainsaw is, has a similar idea of like, you think you know who the bad guy is, and then it becomes so much more complicated than what you thought, you know? So even just like that as your, as your like base, like thought of like horror, and then taking it so much further with like, this weird, this crazy like dynamic between this couple, the fact that they're elderly, like this very clear, like jealousy that this woman has for these young women that are, you know, free and able to do with their bodies what they want like it's it's yeah should we jump into this plot yes yeah yeah, absolutely so it starts off and we're at this rural farmhouse in texas they find dead bodies wrapped in bags and um they find something crazy in the basement we go 24 hours before that and the first thing we see is maxine and she is doing a line of coke and i love that that is the first thing yes that's our introduction into this character, into our final girl. <laughs> into our final girl. If that doesn't show that this is going to be a different 
different type of final girl than I don't know what else. We got Maxine, her uh, producer boyfriend, Wayne. And we got some actors, Bobby Lynn and Jackson, played by Brittany Snow and Cuddy, which, uh, great to see them. Yes, very much. <laughs> fun time with them. Scott Muskie, um, excellent. <laughs> we, also have, we also have amateur director uh, RJ and his girlfriend Lorraine, who's kind of just like the, the extra help. That's the boom, does all the fun stuff. By the way, her (laughs) her recording so much audio with RJ just talking over it, I was just like, what is the point of what you're doing right now? Like I never never even thought about that. She's recording literally every single scene, and he would just direct out loud (laughs) the entire time. And I kept thinking, like, well, maybe they're just gonna cut some. Like, I don't know why I was thinking so analytically about how this porn film was gonna be made, but like. Like, what was she doing? <laughs> I guess if it like stock music, I have no idea. I, w- I never thought about that, but you're so, I mean, RJ was deep into directing those scenes. Like he's like, they automatically start with this, what seems like a very clear uh, Texas Chainsaw homage, which is they're in this van yeah, and they're all in the back of the van and they're driving to, I mean, through the, through the rural country. And you know, you can't help but, but think, but think to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It feels very intentional that he does that. Yeah. As the first thing that we kind of um, jump into in the story. Um, so we get to the farm. There's like a, there's a little scene at the gas station as a way to set up the, the filming of the, of the movie that they're doing. We also get a little peek of a TV when they're in the gas that is doing this, uh, this uh, revival. It's like pastor. Right. Yeah. TV, which... It's a through line that becomes kind of important. Uh, I have opinions on that, but we can <laughs> okay. get to that when we get more towards the end. I mean, it definitely totally sets like some of it up, right? <laughs> Absolutely, it, it sets it up in a very interesting way. You're like, oh, we are, we are in 1979 in the South. You know, it's a, right. it's a juxtaposition to them making this adult movie and this pastor talking about you know finding yourself and and being chased and being holy. You know, it's a <laughs> It's a good setup. So we eventually get to to the farmhouse. Uh, we get introduced to Howard, which is the only man that owns the farm. Um, and <laughs> actually, a, a little side side note here. Okay. The makeup. Like, can we just chat about the makeup? Yeah, of the Introduction course. to this <laughs> to this guy. I <laughs> I don't think I noticed on my first watch. But on my second watch, these makeup transformations are wild. They look like claymation like characters. They're very yeah. not human in they a way. They don't look human at all. Scary. They look like like you, claymation is a good way to put it. It's like they were really creating like something that is not a human being. But it's such a weird yeah. thing of like, is that what they're, I look like are... when I'm a hundred? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like monsters in themselves in their own way which is interesting because i mean they are the antagonists when you first see howard it's like this guy has like sagging skin the hair is like at the back and it's like gray and crispy he's like oh it's like it's so texture it's really weird (laughs) (laughs) they filmed this movie in new zealand which i think is really really interesting that is interesting the original plan for them was uh, shoot it in the summer of 2020 mm-hmm. but of course you know yeah, covid so <laughs> they they pushed it back um 
and Ty West was like, well, we needed to be set in the summer. If we can't push it back a whole year, we need to set it. Um, we need to film somewhere in a, in, the, in a different hemisphere so that we can keep on schedule, but also have it in summer. So they decided to New Zealand, um, partially because it was summer, like January, February, March, April for, for a long time, but also because um, that's where Weta Workshop is, which is a special effects house. Mm-hmm. Um, they're known for working with like Peter Jackson, um, on Lord of the Ring movies, that's what they're really known for. Yeah. And um they created these custom prosthetics for Pearl and for uh Howard. Pearl's was 30 individual prosthetic pieces that took six hours oh my God. to <laughs> to uh apply, which I think is crazy. Yeah. But I think it works for what he was trying to allude to, like that 70s, 80s um uh, period of horror. Okay, so we left off with them meeting Howard, this elderly man with all these, the poor guy with all these prosthetics on. And so Wayne, you know, goes up, knocks on the door. And of course, Howard immediately pulls out his shotgun and is like, who are you? Are you from the county? Blah, blah, blah. So already there's like, what is this man thinking? But Wayne's like, no, we, you know, I talked to you earlier. We are renting out your, your like guest house. And so finally he accepts that that's what they're doing right and so they go out to the guest house and uh kind of set up shop there we have this interesting scene where howard um howard like it sees all the people are all of the actors and he's like this is more people than i thought it was there's like a racially charged moment between him and uh, kid cuddy's character um where he's yeah. like oh you served in the, in the <laughs> army and he's like yep vietnam I love the way that Kid Cudi plays all of these moments. Oh, I agree. You know, I think I he think was it, fantastic. It's strong. <laughs> yes. You know, he just doesn't really, he's not really combative. He gets kind of like over, like he just familiarizes himself with this man immediately. He just kind of, you, I don't know, he, he doesn't allow for there to be, uh, for there to be tension between them yeah. in a way, which I think is really interesting. So then from there, you know, Howard leaves them and that's where we re- we discover that Wayne did not inform the owners of this place that they're going to, what the purposes of them being there are. So, of course, uh, Lorraine kind of raises a little bit of a concern, like, they don't know that we're here. And that's like the first time she speaks in the film, maybe. Is it the first time? Sweet little, sweet little church mouse. Yeah. And so then she kind of gets teased may. about that. I think it may be. She, yeah, she's very quiet. <laughs> she, yeah. She's just like the quiet little <laughs> girlfriend of the director. And she finally is like, are we not supposed to be here? Do they not know what we're doing? And then she kind of gets, you know, dismissed in a like, oh, it's fine. Like, they're not going to know. It doesn't matter. They're old, whatever. So, yeah, then we move into the first filming of an actual sex scene, right? So it's going to be between uh, Bobby Lynn and Jackson. Bobby Lynn and Jackson. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and so they're having their heated sex scene or whatever. And they have, it's kind of like, I mean, I like that scene a lot because it's kind of fun. Like you kind of see the chemistry between these two people. You see their relationship a little bit. You also see the relationship between RJ and Lorraine. And like you get the first little glimpse of her kind of fascination and interest in what's going on, but also kind of disgust. Like she has a very interesting relationship with what they're doing, right? Like, which is very much explored throughout the rest of the film. This moment, which I think I wrote down i was like kind of keeping track of like the moments i thought were really really cool sequences this is the intercut scene like mm-hmm. they're filming that scene for the first time and 
Maxine is going back to the farmhouse and she's this weird. So, but before she even goes to the farmhouse, Pearl for the first time, right? But before that, she takes a, a swim in the pond. Remember? Yeah. And she almost yeah, gets yeah that's the first time we see the alligator by the by the gator, which <laughs> I'm sorry by the gator. I will say, having grown up in Louisiana, if this girl was truly born and raised in Texas. She was not getting in those waters. She knows that there's gators in there. Like, what are you doing? That's, That's the one territory. thing that I was like, I like people just don't do that down there. Like, even in the seventies, because that wasn't like a lake. It was a Maxine swamp. was Maxine was off off the coke. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> she <laughs> she wasn't you know, thinking she, rationally. She's she taking a coke dive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So yes, that's where we get introduced to the to the alligator. Um, which I don't know if we, if you, if it's ever said in this film, but the gator does have a name that is revealed in Pearl. If oh. you ever watch. Oh, okay. Watch. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that the gator is a recurring character yeah, in, in this series. It's, it's I hope a... <laughs> it comes back for uh, the third installment. Yeah, I, I hope so too, honestly. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so we have that intercut scene where you see the sex scene happening. You see Maxine taking a dip in the swamp, almost getting eaten by an alligator. And then this is when you first kind of see her having this interesting calling to this this elderly woman, right? Uh, Pearl. And so she kind of sees her from along, from like across the way and Pearl kind of beckons her into the farmhouse. And she goes up and she, what, she pours her some lemonade and they have this like, weird interaction i like how that was intercut too with like the when she when he's like or what is this britney snow's character say she's like can i get you a glass of lemonade (laughs) yes no that's what i thought was so interesting and so cool like the (laughs) intercut moments between these two different scenarios i couldn't be more different yeah um but i thought that was very interesting the build-up of that, but then that. it's interesting. It, but also, it kind of works in a in a cool way because the the conversation or like the interaction between Pearl and Maxine in the kitchen or in the dining room or whatever is kind of like sexually charged in like a really weird way. Yes, there's like in a really weird way, and like Pearl is is clearly like fascinated and like jealous and attracted to like this young woman, but she can't do anything about it in that moment and so then that being intercut with this very like erotic like sex scene between these two performers that are like giving it their all well at the end of the sequence is when (laughs) when pearl actually makes like a an advance Mm. towards maxine which is really weird like (laughs) i don't know like I, i it's just so unsettling um because and i think mia goth plays I was gonna say she plays it excellently as as Maxine, but she plays it excellently <laughs> as both, both characters. Both. Um, because it's just like Maxine is so she, she does have this innocence. I mean, she does make these movies, but she has an innocence in in her in herself still. Yeah. Um, and she's like, "What are you doing?" Like, you know, she's like, "She's like simple as that." Like, "What are you doing?" Like, "Why are you touching me like that?" Um, <laughs> she just uh. What is Pearl? Pearl like says like shh. Yeah. Tells her to be quiet. Like tell, like makes her get out the back door. And like Howard's coming up and like Pearl sneaks out the yeah. back and runs away. Not Pearl, Maxine. I'm sorry, Maxine sneaks out the back and runs away. And it's like, 
it's a very unsettling moment that alludes to what is to come yes in a really interesting way i'm glad that you mentioned this because this is something that i find fascinating about maxine as our final girl in this movie is that like you know we've laid out very specifically that the trope is that this is like a virginal innocent you know person and i think that like yes we're juxtaposing that with the fact that this is literally someone who is like here to make this erotic film but i do think that there is like a naivete to maxine that makes it mm still work like I like no she's not a virgin obviously but I do think that there is like a certain amount of innocence naivete like I like I don't know I'm interested to hear what, what you think about this because I think that she's like totally being taken advantage of by Wayne right like he found this beautiful young sure. woman and he promised her that she's going to be a star and like she believes him a lot of her story is the running away from that purity and making herself a star and I think so I think in that sense, she is taking advantage of by, by everyone around her, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And like, even you saying that she's running away, like, if you think about the last five seconds of the film, she's literally like doing the thing she knows best and just getting the freak out of there, you know? So yeah, I, I, I think she's like such a great example of like a final girl in, in 2022, you know? Like, what is that? absolutely uh innocence and like yeah naivete but also still having that grit and like desire you know because like she's gonna get what she wants like oh yeah I mean that's her driving force that's her driving force yeah um so I guess the next place we go to is the barn I think that's what comes next the sex scene between Maxine and Jackson but before we even see that, we have to get that moment of her running back, right? And he's like, where have you been? Wayne's like, where have you been? Go get ready. And she has to hype herself up for the sex scene. She does all the cocaine. And then she goes into the barn. Oh, yeah. 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 Then she goes into the barn. Um, and I think this is a very, uh, first of all, I think it's a very beautifully filmed sequence. Uh, and that I love the stuff. I mean, the the fictional film and this is called the farmer's daughter <laughs> i think it's really beautiful stuff yeah i mean because you have to think about it like rj is literally trying to make a beautiful porn film <laughs> like a beautiful yeah yeah and i think like this is a good time to talk to kind of segue into something i thought was really interesting when i was doing some research into ty west okay yeah the idea of um this idea of craft and his intention, his intention, I guess, in, in making the movie, he was, he was on his six year break from film and he was doing a lot of TV and stuff. And he was talking a lot about how like he wanted a reason to come back to do movies. Um, okay. He had done so many, so many horror films and he got to a point where it's easy for himself to make horror movies. He didn't want to just recreate the things that he's been doing over and over and over again um and something that he was really interested by was uh craft of filmmaking what he was inspired by to make this movie was how he could make a movie that that alluded to to a, a craft that he felt like was lost by a lot of modern um horror films ty west comes up with this group of filmmakers 
uh, Greta Gerwig, Joe Swansburg, Adam Wingard. Mm-hmm. We all know Greta. Adam Wingard made the film You're Next. Um, so I think it is a very specific, specific type of filmmaking. And he talks about how um, he feels as if his generation was like the last generation that would just make movies for the heck of it. They would make a movie, they could make a horror feature on the, a budget of $1,000 and they could make it work because that was what they were interested in was making movies. Okay, well, Ty, we made a horror film on a budget of $1,000. We did. So Ty would, be, Ty would be proud of us. You were not the last. <laughs> he would be very proud of us. We just haven't reached the point where you're at where we can make million dollar movies yet. <laughs> hey, <laughs> one day. One day. Um, but But he also talks about how he feels like the people who want to make media nowadays, uh, there was a fork in the wor- in the road. So as their generation made made feature films, this generation may um, put more of their time and their energy into making YouTube videos or like mm. TikTok videos. He says vines, but I think he's a little old. Honestly, <laughs> I think he's a little outdated in that sense. Um, but yeah, so th- there was this fork that that went away from being an indie filmmaker into being a content creator um what do you think about that what do you think about that i think it's very interesting that he that he said that i mean because you think about um i always think about i don't know if this is the right generation of filmmakers but like who are the guys that did like seth rogan uh like james franco like what is the director that they, that they work with all the time who did like forgetting sarah marcia marshall and and neighbors and like all of those movies he did like all of the muppet movies um but like a prolific like i always in my head i think of the people that 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 fit into that category of like humor to me those are the kinds of people that ended up like becoming youtubers and that's probably not true like (laughs) logistically did you find his name Mm -hmm. what is it uh, this says, uh, I forget to say Marshall is Nicholas Stoller. Yes, Nicholas, Nicholas Stoller. Stoller. Yes, exactly. Yeah, him and Seth and Seth Rogen work a lot together. He dir- he directed in, I don't know if he wrote Bros, but he directed that as well. So he, he's like very much that kind of like guy humor, romantic comedy type movie, which for whatever reason is what I've been really yeah. into lately. I don't know why I've been watching so many of those movies lately, um, but he comes up again and again. It's like every time I find a movie in that category, it's he's a part of it somehow. But anyways, that's not the point I'm making. In my head, like, I feel like those people that were making those movies, like Seth Rogen, uh, Jason Segel, even, like, Nicholas Stoller, like, all those guys, they existed in that time. But I think that if those guys were 20 years younger, they would totally be YouTubers. Like, there's something about that type of humor that fits so well. So I totally, and, like, they just didn't have that outlet, right? And I'm kind of happy that they didn't, because without it, like, they wouldn't have made all these movies, um yeah we would have missed out on yeah on a generation I mean, of, of we could films have, that we find so important we could have gotten so many great youtube videos but i don't know there's something about youtube that's so like vapid and like it's in and out and like i like you there's you know there's like charlie bit your finger and like those viral ones but nothing even really goes viral anymore because there's so much of everything now there's so much content but i i do see what he means by that by saying that like it's because it's so easy to make a youtube video that the people that really could be out there grinding and making like a full-fledged movie are going the other route right and that's not to say that youtube is easier but Mm -hmm. it's just different and it's a little bit more accessible 
it's more accessible absolutely it's, yeah it's more accessible um and you know like film is an expensive thing to get into like it's it's cost a lot of money to to make a movie but um and he continued on, continued on thinking about why he likes movies and why he why he would he described it as like put in, put himself through two years of torture <laughs> to make a to make a movie which is so, so true, true. <laughs> um uh, but he said he says he wanted to make a movie about making movies to highlight the craft and he wanted the audience to therefore think about while they're watching this movie that he made the craft that went into making the movie himself okay ty well then my question for you is why was she booming all of those scenes that <laughs> he's talking <All> right. through? <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> but no no i do i do think that rj he represents that i think he represents this idea of this person obsessed with making making something for the craft of it yeah and and maybe that generation of filmmaker that he kind of uh is talking about so dearly yeah and and well you talk about because like you think about what porn was in the 70s right and um i actually watched an, an interview with it had britney snow uh scott muscutty and um uh who's the guy that plays martin henderson is that the guy's name that plays uh wayne yes martin henderson it was the three of them and then ty west was also in this interview i watched and Brittany snow is like yeah in preparation for this film i did go back and watch some 70s porn and it's a lot and like she's like <laughs> she's like it's long yeah. and it's like there's like story and like it's not just oh yeah. delivery guy knocks on the door and now we're having sex. It's like and you see it in that in this movie. And so it's interesting to think about like the transition from, you know, like nudie magazines to what was mm -hmm. then became this thing. Like you couldn't like go online and just find porn. So it wasn't oversaturated. Like you had to really make it and film it and like you couldn't even use digital cameras. Yeah. Like and so there is something to like you have to take a little bit more time and care to do that. Just like kind of the the horror genre is a way for filmmakers on the outside of the film industry to break in. That was kind of what porn was for for people in the 70s. And Ty West talks about that. Like he's like, the reason I chose adult movies as the movies to make is because there was a parallel between between the horror industry and the porn industry oh, when it yeah. comes to filmmakers finding a way finding a way to break into the industry on in their like on their own means yeah. you know and that's absolutely uh maxine's entire plot right she doesn't want to be a porn actress she wants to be an actor she wants to be famous and she is convinced yeah. by wayne who in my opinion just views her as a hot young woman that who's good at it honestly who is because she wants it so bad she's so good at at making those movies but he convinces her that yeah you do this and then you're moving on to the things you actually want to do and then you're going to move on to stardom and blah, blah 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 and so that is like that's totally her entire thing right she sees that as the way in um and i also think yeah. i'm thinking of like so much as well so you have this idea that like comparing the two forms of media right like porn and uh horror films which ty west is very clearly comparing but you also think about the way that sex has been used in horror films since the 70s flasher fix and like the way that uh oftentimes and this is something that actually i want to say 
I'm gonna go ahead and 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 quote not quote but uh, refer back to Carol J. Uh, Clover's book about the final girl and about horror films. She talks a lot about um, how oftentimes there is sex and there is killing. There's not both. So like a killer murders to fulfill his sexual desires that's why she talks about how like you don't oftentimes in in old school horror films you don't see like sexual assault you don't see like that because it's not that you're doing this to get this it's like the murdering is the sexual assault the murdering is getting off she talks about this scene and i've never actually watched the second texas chainsaw massacre but she talks about the scene in that film where like leatherface like puts the chainsaw like up against this like woman's the, the final girl in that film her, her up against her up against her groin and like it doesn't turn on but he like acts out the act of like humming i guess i can believe that if i need to <laughs> um <laughs> and then because of that he doesn't murder her because his need has been fulfilled and so the relationship between Ooh. sex and killing in horror films is so interwoven and intertwined Anyways, that's, like, a huge tangent apart from this film, but, like, it is interesting that, that the major plot point of this movie is is about, like, ownership of sexuality, using sex as a medium to get something else, and also just, like, a desire to have sex, right? Because, like, you could argue that the whole reason that she kills, that Pearl kills all these people is because she's jealous of the fact that she can't have sex with her husband anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, um... I mean, so speaking of Pearl, I mean that where we left off was Pearl is being a creepy little voyeur. Yeah, she's like big creeping. Time. Big time. <laughs> she's creeping around the barn. This is this is one shot that I have in my head of the camera coming around the corner of the barn, and it is it is fully Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's like handheld. It's really really cool. Um, but I, I just immediately thought about that. Um, but not only watching the sex, is seeing herself in the sex. Like, like oh god replacing which herself. is wow yeah <laughs> yeah replacing herself i mean she she has desires and she has wants yeah and she is really uh projecting them <laughs> out <laughs> and I, I commend her do you um, on the murder or just then, on the then she returns then she <laughs> desires not on the murder um not yet she returns home and she she returns home and she is uh pleading with Howard uh to have sex. I felt bad. I felt bad for the girl. You felt bad for her? <laughs> yeah. I mean and I think that a lot of Pearl's story and like psychology is like I'm curious if she had been more fulfilled in her youth if she would still be feeling the way that she is now but I think that the whole thing with her is that she really feels like she missed out on something and now it's too late for her to Mm. have all the wild sex that she wanted to have when she was in her 20s or whatever it is and now you know she has this partner who could die if they do that I feel bad for her, but also, like, I think that there, you know, there are choices that she could have made. They need couples therapy. They need couples therapy. (laughs) 
maybe a third would be good for them. Well, I kind of feel like that's the idea. Like, there is some kind of interesting, like, dynamic between them going on. Because, like, you know, spoiler alert, but you find this guy in the basement, right? And clearly, like, they've worked together to get him there. So I don't know if Howard is involved as far as the sex goes, but he's definitely involved in the, like, kidnapping and torturing of these people, right? (laughs) So Um, they kind of have a third. Okay. So where do we go uh, from there? They we, do, in a way. We so they try to have sex and he can't because of his heart. Is that when we go into the into like the nighttime scene where Britney Snow sings her heart out? <laughs> <laughs> My God, yes, Britney Snow of Hairspray fame. Yes, um, <laughs> us back to her. <laughs> she said, "I can sing," and Kid Cudi Roots. said, "I am a musician," and they they perform for us. and then it's such like an interesting song choice too right like there it's the took my love and i took it down and we're getting like is that because that's when it's intercut with the scenes of pearl like brushing her hair right in the (laughs) mirror brushing her hair she put on does she put on lipstick or am i misremembering that she's putting on makeup right you definitely see like her like old makeup for sure um and so we have that whole musical number it's like a getting ready it's getting ready for her Yes, for what's to come. <laughs> for what's to come, which, which is a lot. Um, oh, it, I just say, it's not a killing in this movie until like an hour in. Yeah. Is that true? Am I making that up? The first no one murder... dies until like a, until like an hour. Yeah. It's a long time. I mean, it is a long time. It's a lot of setup. Okay, so then we get into this really interesting scene, which is, I think, a turning point of the movie with all of our main characters in the living room. And Lorraine, our uh, princess of horror, Jenna Ortega, decides that she wants to uh, be in a sex scene. She had a change of heart. She wants to be in a scene with Jackson. And so they, and so they, do, they do this scene. And I, I love this shot of, um, of Bobby Lynn and Maxine, like, getting Lorraine ready and, like, Jackson's like on the ground doing push-ups yeah. like that's so interesting <laughs> it's like the, the preparation like the getting ready to like make this big decision you know this and I think it's really really interesting the way they yeah. set that up I will say I also really appreciate the depiction of the female characters in that moment of her kind of being like I want to do this thing because no one is ever like except for RJ, of course, they're all supportive. They're all, no one is jealous. No one's like, oh, she's taking the limelight. Like, they're all like, you want to do this, girl? Let's do it. Like, yeah, it's kind of, I kind of appreciate that. Like, it is interesting. It's cool. Then we have Jay super upset. He wants to leave. He's crying in the shower. Yeah, being Um, a big baby, by the way. Super sad boy. He's being a big baby. He's being very much a sad boy. I don't know why. Yeah. He's so moved by this. He kind of is also representing the film industry in the sense of like, we want women to put themselves out there and be sexual, but as soon as they get naked, they're sluts and they're terrible and they their career's over. You know what I mean? So he does kind of represent that side mm. of it as well, I feel like. Yeah. A very judgmental, like, two-sided, like, going back on what he is really saying that he means. And he gets to be the first death because of it. <laughs> he gets to be the first death. The only person in the movie who doesn't have sex gets killed first, which yeah. I think is very, very cool. Um, 
RJ leaves in his uh, truck, but finds that Pearl standing in the driveway. He's like, oh, old lady, let me help you. Yeah. I was going to help him. But she starts being grabby and handsy and touchy. Inappropriate. (laughs) It's extremely inappropriate. Um, It's extremely. Second time Pearl's gotten handsy. Like, I think Pearl needs to be. You can't be doing this, bro. Like, we got to have a talk. Um, So he basically denies her advances. And she just stabs him repeatedly in the throat and neck. Um, And it's this really cool sequence where, like, the blood splatters on the lights. And the lights turn red. Then everything turn red. She, like, dances in the headlights. (laughs) Yes. That is beautiful. And I think... I think that's really when I started feeling sad for her. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, she really has a life. There's a history and a life that she missed out on that she really just felt like she got back for a second after she killed this this man. Especially if you think about like, we talked, I think we talked about before how um, in horror movies in the past, like the knife has been a metaphor for like, penetration you know yeah, it's like like it's a phallic symbol she kind, of, sure. she kind of it's a phallic symbol and she reclaims that she takes it stabs him with it yeah and then dances after she does it yeah like wow and that's our first death first death stabbing in front of the truck any, any thoughts on our first death you know i'll take it it's good it's a good first death in my opinion for it's sure first death it gets us it gets us into into the into the acts of violence it transitions us in a very yeah. smooth way our next thing is Lorraine waking up and sees that RJ is missing. She's freaking out. Oh, Lorraine. Uh, she's like, Wayne, Wayne, help me, help me. Wayne is in his underwear. I don't know. In his tidy whities <laughs> I think it's really interesting that he's just he's just walking around in his tidy whities uh, He's walking around in his tidy whities and he's like, okay, I'll help you out. Barn to check out. Uh, check it out there. He's walking, steps on a nail, uh, which is I terrible. Say, I hate watching that. Those are my like least favorite scenes of any movie. Whenever somebody yeah. steps on a nail. And also my question is why? Because that's not how he dies. That's not his death. So why? <laughs> I think it's still weaken him, weaken him a little bit. But the way that he dies, like it's not like he could really defend himself, you know? Yeah, that's true. Just to throw like a little, some little crumbs of terror before. Yeah, it's just probably more... a misdirect too. I don't know, maybe like a misdirect. Also, I love the fact that he's still in his tidy whities in the barn. Oh, fully, <laughs> fully. Like he does, he, he does not throw a robe on. No. Uh, so then we see Wayne see something outside. He takes a peek through the God, takes a peek through the holes in the door. Um, and Pearl shoves a pitchfork through his his brain eyes. and skull and brain, and he's dead. Um, then we cut away from that. Like <laughs> nothing just happened. Um, <laughs> because I love the way they do this though. Because we cut away from it, and um, <laughs> I don't remember the exact way they do this, but I think we cut away from it. Lorraine um, goes to Howard's house, mm-hmm. says that, and Howard's like Pearl's missing. Like, he asked Lorraine to get a flashlight. Help me. He asked Lorraine to get a flashlight in the basement and locks her in the basement. Yeah. I don't remember exactly when this cut happens, but we cut back to Wayne and, like, the pitchfork pulling out and then, like, him oh. falling 
on the ground yes. and there's like an, his eyes and like brain guts are like out of his skull yes i don't remember how they how they cut that but i think the way they did that was so cool and yeah i think it's just building that suspense right but and and i i remember it happened they did it to me twice too because this is the second time i've watched this movie and both times i've been i've fell for the misdirect of howard putting her in the basement and both times i was like oh he's trying to protect her he's locking her in there because he knows that his wife is insane and he's trying to save her and that's not the case i don't know why i fall for that like, I, <laughs> like she is prey to them like, she's prey oh yeah she's an, she's an option yeah and what i love so much so this is this is one thing that i love about her character is that like by the book she is the final girl right like if you think about like yeah virginal innocent like all of that like by the book she is like she would have been the final girl but she's not in this movie she could be yeah mm-hmm. and and just the simple fact that there's also kind two of brunettes and there's one blonde and like we know that it's not the blonde like it's yeah pearl even says that she's like oh, i hate blondes which that is explained i don't like blondes that is explained in <laughs> in pearl in the prequel in such a great way oh like, she they had it all like, thought out she does not like blondes <laughs> so the next couple kills are are i don't know like I, I think we like the next couple kills are not that interesting to me like we have <laughs> i'm sorry not I shit on the interesting kills. like not as fun as they could be. what they're not as they could be in my opinion wait who dies first remind me is it uh next i think is is it jackson jackson okay so yeah his isn't that interesting i agree with that yeah Howard like asks Jackson to uh for help finding Pearl. Yeah. And we do get a little bit of their their kind of dichotomy, right? And like the comparison between those two as characters is, is interesting to me. And mm-hmm. and it's fascinating, like the ways in which we see all of these like young people responding to what they are seeing as old people in distress, right? Like you see RJ kind of like yeah. oh, grandma are you okay and then she like feels him up and then kills him and then you see jackson in this case where like he thinks that howard is like is lost in the swamp somewhere or something and and then he just gets (laughs) shot in the chest which you know is at a very close range like (laughs) extremely close (laughs) i'll have you very close yes um poor bobby not bobby jackson <laughs> poor jackson we also just went right past the dong but it's okay we can pass it up <sighs> yeah he, he hangs he hangs he hangs he hangs in this one <laughs> in silhouette which is which is tasteful so what we're so think about but this n- like, nevertheless you have wayne who just walks around in his tidy whities but you have jackson who's just full on out he answers the door he's in the bear <laughs> he's in the bear he like, answers I- the door to this <laughs> old man with nothing on completely confidently like not like yeah not like oh i'm so sorry like i didn't see that (laughs) it's just like it's out (laughs) how can i help you sir um Um, yeah so that we get his death that's great and then oh but before 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 britney's we have the scene of pearl in the bed with maxine oh god (laughs) (laughs) which is so disturbing um but also kind of a throwback to a lot of film or a lot of scenes in horror films of the past, right? You you get a lot of those scenes of 
something is, it's typically after sex. So it's like a couple has just had sex and then they're being punished for that. So they both get killed. But you oftentimes see the death of the, the guy like off screen or it's very, you know, small and you don't really see it. And then the killer pretends to be the lover for a few moments. And then yeah. when the girl turns around and sees that it's the killer, she screams and then she gets stabbed. You know, like that's very much stab. what happens a lot of the time. So you, it's kind of like leaning into that, like, she thinks that she's in the bed with Wayne and it's this like old scary <laughs> woman. <laughs> Which Mia Goth is a scream queen. A scream queen. A scream queen. I mean she's tracing her body, but she also has like blood on her hands. Yes, like, it's, like, she's like the bloody. Blood on her body. It's disgusting. Um and terrifying. Yeah. And so then she, she runs out the house in terror. She screams and and, and that's when uh our, I, I guess our last surviving member, besides Lorraine, is kind of awoken. <laughs> and yeah, and Bobby Lynn. She's like, this woman was touching me. She was in my bed. <laughs> she was touching me. So that's where we get that um, amazing performance from Mia Goth. <laughs> yeah, that was a great moment. Um, why does uh, Brittany Snow's character walk out into the <laughs> onto the talk? Oh, she's looking for for uh, Jackson. Okay, and so she's and she sees Pearl, and she's like, "Oh my God, are you and okay?" And then she sees Pearl. Yeah, that's what it is. She's like, "Oh my God, are you okay?" Pearl slaps her. <laughs> Does. Pearl slaps the shit out of her. Then she pushes pushes Bobby Lynn into the to the lake. She gets eaten she gets up by, eaten the, by the by the gator. gator, gobbled up. It's the smoking gun. You can't show a gator and not have someone get eaten by it, right? I'm not gonna say it's a bad bad kill. It's interesting, but it's I don't know. It could have been more creative. That's your favorite kill? Yes, that's my favorite kill? kill. Yes. My favorite death. I think my it has a lot kill. to do with the fact that it's Britney Snow as well. It's perfect. Yeah, she plays it excellently. Yeah. She's like, oh. she's like, you slap. I just know like, she's having so much fun. It's great. It's hilarious. No, she's like, my, my grandma gets confused sometimes. I, and I was almost a nurse. Like... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's very still about her. Like, she finds a way to make it about yeah. her. Even even to her death. Even to her demise. There's so, so some moments here that are cool. I like when Lorraine tries to break through the basement with a hatchet. It's very shining. <sighs> very The Shining. It's really cool. And then he, like, breaks her fingers, which I think is... That shocked me. Like, that was a jump. That was a jump scare for me. So, <laughs> I need to, like, confess something about that scene. <laughs> because mm -hmm. when I was watching that scene this most recent time a couple of days ago i was like oh my god this is reminding me in my brain i was thinking this like this is reminding me of another horror movie and the girl puts her hand through the thing and then she gets her finger smashed and i was like Ugh, that was so <laughs> terrible and then it was this movie and i was like did i really forget that that was this movie and now i'm watching it again and i'm just as horrified <laughs> as i was the first time yeah it's terrible that's fully what happened to me so pro and howard get back to the guest house and Again, I think Pearl, if I remember correctly, Pearl is this is when Pearl's like kind of begging him. And she's like, Will you please? Like, is she's like, Tell me I'm special? Is, this, is that yeah, this moment? Yeah, that's that moment. Tell me I'm special. Tell me I'm special. Um, but it works. <laughs> she's like, He's like, She's like, Touch me. And he's like, I can't, my heart. And she just keeps, she keeps begging. And he, it <laughs> works. It to her. It works. And they're having sex. Um, and then it is revealed that somebody is under the bed. <laughs> Maxine is under the bed. Poor Maxine. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I mean, Howard is putting it down in, in missionary, and Maxine is it's just <laughs> army crawling from underneath. But it's a good opportunity for her to get away, right? And I think that this is a moment when Maxine shows us that, like, final girl resourcefulness, and she goes straight for the gun in the truck, right? And I'm like, yes, good girl. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, you're smart. You remembered that was there. Like, you have your defenses. You see that there's, like, the tire is pops, so you're going to have to fight. Like, smart. And she kind of goes and tries to save Lorraine. Or not kind of, she does. Like, she goes into the house, she hears her screaming, and Lorraine is freaking out. <laughs> Lorraine is freaking out bad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she's like, get away from me! What is her quote? Oh my god, her quote in this moment. She bl- She's blaming Maxine. I hate you! Something like oh, yeah. that. <laughs> I hate you! She tries, she tries to... <laughs> She tries to run away and um, gets shot in the chest yes, by instantly by a shotgun. Yeah, which is a great death. That's a good <laughs> one, I think. That's a great death. That's yeah. one of my favorites. Um, <laughs> I think I don't know. Like I think I mean it's obviously the end of the end of the Lorraine character, but very great performance by Jenna Ortega in this oh, movie. I agree. I mean she is fantastic. Yeah, she's acting. She is. She is really one of our one of our scream queens, like one of our, I think I was watching an interview with Kid Cudi. He said that she is uh, the princess of horror. I, and I think it. it's so true. Like she, this year alone, she was in uh, what? Wednesday, Scream 5 and X. And then I I was also doing some research and she was in like two other low budget, like horror comedies that same year. I mean, she was my favorite part of the new Scream movie for sure. Like, she was phenomenal in that film and she's great in this movie as well. Yeah. She knows what, she, she knows what she's doing. I mean, she knows how to, knows how to hold that fear. Yeah. And like really just, ah, uh, the screams, the yeah. screams are incredible. And her up against Mia Goth is like a great combination. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you would think like the, what, what you think, you think that Maxie's going to save her and that she's going to be like, Oh my God, thank you so much. Let's get out of here. Let's work together. That's just yeah. what happens in these movies, you right. know? But she's she's immediately like I hate you. Yeah, <laughs> completely she, goes against her. Tries to get on her, get out on her own, and and she pays the consequences. You know, like she gets yeah, shot in the chest. And she immediately gets shot. So now we've made it to our final like fight. Not right? even the chest. Oh no no, she's she shot, shot in, the, shot in head. the head. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> in the head. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we've we've made it to our final fight of the film. We've made it to mm-hmm. you know the the i guess the ultimate moment and this is such a funny moment to me and poor maxine you know has her weapon she pulls out her gun she tries to shoot it and there's no bullets in it of course because why would that why would the fate be on her side right wait 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 before before that though yeah before that though maxine is like hiding around the corner and pearl and howard try to bring the body in oh right 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 Yeah, the body twitches a little rigor, rigor mortis, and he has a heart attack. Has a heart attack and dies. And he dies. So he made it through sex. He survived that, <laughs> but he could not survive the heart or the the body twitching. And he had. A heart I think attack. it's so funny. I think it's just hilarious. Like this whole buildup of the heart, the heart, and what takes him out is this little like cough gag. I don't know, like after death twitch yeah and he's, he, he's gone he's down for the count and pearl is more i'd like she's so close to having this thing that she wanted for so long 
yeah. the sexual desire like fulfilled and, and then her it's over then her man is dead Ugh. so then like you were saying she has the gun she tries to shoot him yes she tries to shoot him the gun doesn't have any bullets in it or it jams or whatever for whatever reason the gun doesn't work and then we have this moment of pearl grabbing the shotgun she goes to shoot maxine maxine ducks out of the way and pearl gets thrown back down the porch onto the gravel like onto the in front of the house and i guess her hip is broken like whatever she can't she's like oh my hip and then she starts to ask for help then she begs her to help her she (laughs) begs this woman that she has been like (laughs) going out of her way to murder assaulting people like killing and, and she says help me please and Maxine obviously does not do that. And we have this the great moment of her like getting into the 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 van, backing it up, rolling right over Pearl's head. Her head explodes. And that head goes pop. <laughs> and then off Maxine pop. goes into into the great abyss of whatever is to come for her. So that is like yeah. the seminal fight, right? And then we go back into the twenty four hours ahead. And we see the the kind of tying up of um the police being there and we and that's when we get the scene of or or we see the TV right that reveals that Maxime is the daughter of this pastor that's been shown throughout the movie, yeah, yeah, which I think is I don't know if that really works for me as a reveal. <laughs> I don't know. it just seems. See, I totally view it that moment like a... as there more to come. Like that's like a to be continued for me. It's like sure we saw yeah, this. Yeah. That's like setting up for the sequel. There's gonna be a sequel. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. kind of how I view that. I do have a question for you because mm-hmm. I had two different reactions to this the first time I watched it versus this most recent viewing. How do you feel about the reveal of what is in the basement? Like, from the perspective of, I feel like they set up that there's, like, something horrible in the basement at the very beginning of the movie, and then we see what it is, like, halfway through the movie. Like, how do you feel about that reveal? The, this past time when I watched it, honestly, I really thought that that person was RJ, but that was wrong. <laughs> really? Um, I guess it's just, like, it's one of the previous victims. I really thought it was RJ. It's like, no, it's not RJ. I don't know. I feel like it... <sighs> I mean, it works for me, I guess. It, it's, it, I was never, I guess, super interested in, in what was in the basement. So when Maybe. I saw I, I, this movie in theaters for the first time, I was so underwhelmed by that, by what, what we discovered to be in the basement. I was like... They set up, like, this horrible thing has happened. And maybe it has something to do with the fact that the screen was huge. You know what I mean? Like, they set up sure. that, that there's something terrible in the basement and we don't get to see it. And we finally see what it is. And it's, like, this third-party character that I don't even know. And I was like, yeah. what the heck is this? Like, I thought it was going to be one of my my girlies that I've been watching this whole time. Yeah. But one of your girlies, <laughs> one of my girlies. But I will say, this most recent time I watched it, it didn't bother me. I was like, okay, it's just kind of creating the context that these two people are crazy people. Like it, it's creating that. I think, yeah, yeah. 
Like, in, um, in the theaters, I was really disappointed. This time, I, I was okay with it. I was like, yeah, it works. It It's not as big as what I, what I was anticipating it to be. Yeah, it really does just serve as a, as a, these people are crazy. They've done this before. Same yeah. with the, there's that car in the swamp. Right. Um, I think that is also, like, just kind of alluding that they've, this is not the first time they've done this. Yeah. And, like, Howard's <laughs> saying, like, oh, she gets like this sometimes, like, that kind of stuff. Throwing things into a swamp is a big thing in Pearl. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, when there's a swamp, I mean, you're from Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> it's the throwing of, of things into the swamp. Yeah. Um, okay. So just a little, I want to chat a little bit about uh, the psycho bitty horror genre um and kind of the connection to this movie that i've found and done some research about okay so the connection was first made by uh this writer nate roscoe uh fangoria which is a horror magazine and it was connecting x to this this genre uh, um that usually can usually features formerly glamorous older women um, that have become mentally unbalanced and terrorized those around her. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, we're thinking about like, I think a big example of that is like Joan Crawford and whatever happened to baby Jane. Yeah. Um, and, and this idea of, you know, we're talking about feminism and women and sexuality and horror, but this is, this is a way that I think older women characters have been othered in a very monstrous way mm-hmm. um and i think that's really interesting when we when we look at the character of pearl and the way she kind of exists in this in this movie as i mean she's not sure she's not your conventional slasher villain i mean she is <laughs> she's like a she's a woman who just want i mean she's an older woman who's like out of touch with her sexuality she tries to get touched by her husband but he denies her um she like begs and yearns for like youth and beauty from Maxine. Maxine, she tries to like touch uh, RJ, yeah, without his consent. Like she kills when she doesn't like get when she doesn't receive that touch from him. Um, and she like dances after her after her first kill in this movie. You know, like it's yeah. it's a very different version of what I think what I think a slasher villain looks like. Um, and I think that that is interesting when you look at when you look at this psycho bitty horror genre um and it's different in a, in a sense because it is played by Mia Goth you know it's not like a older woman actress right but I mean I, I don't think I think it's like hard to deny the parallels there you know uh, what are your thoughts on just that initially there is a very big um genre of just film like if you think about how women particularly older women are viewed in film as a whole like there's only a few like real things that they that like is accepted for them to play like if you think about and I I always think about musicals right (laughs) like because you know we both come from theater Mm. I've always appreciated William Finn's depiction of the women in his pieces because he very frequently, he doesn't really have young women in any of his pieces. They're all, like, motherly or, like, older, like, middle-aged women. And, yeah, they're mothers, they're wives, they're whatever, but they're also, like, uh, multidimensional and interesting and, like, they have their own thoughts and their own fears and all of this. 
And that's very rare to find. Like, for the most part, you're seeing, like, an unhappy housewife who, like, is upset because she wasted her her life, you know, raising kids and, and being a wife. And now she's unhappy with that. Like, that seems to be kind of the, the trope or, like, the, the box that women are placed in into films, which seems like the direction that this kind of psychobitty <laughs> horror genre is kind of escalating to. But I want to hear more about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, um, like, in the time, uh, in the time it was a way for older actresses to still have really interesting and, and um, dynamic roles. Because we think about, like, in that time, we had, like, Jimmy Stewart. Mm -hmm. um, he had he had Alfred Hitchcock, you know, to be as, his, like, he that was his, he was his muse, you know, like Laurence yeah. Olivier could do his work of Shakespeare's, but like their contemporaries at the time were people like Joan Crawford and Gloria Swanson, and they had to do movies like What Happened to Baby Jane and Sunset Boulevard, where they played these older, like crass, like crass, jaded women mm -hmm. that, and, and their stories were kind of like made into horrors of like regrets and like, um, regrets of the past wanting to get things back you know like that was that was what um what what became of became of their stories and i think there's an interesting parallel between you know the, these adult movies they're making because we talk about um like the conversations in the movie is about like is you know porn degrading to women like rj t like talks about how he feels about lorraine do doing the porn like is it degrading to women but also critics during this time um told these stars like that those roles would be career killers when they found it as more of a reclamation yeah. of their own career yeah and i guess like kind of the driving the driving point i i find with this comparison is like you know was it misogynistic or chauvinistic like the way that they were making these movies like is whatever whatever happened to baby jane necessarily feminist no i mean it's written from a male perspective um directed by a man but i think in that genre and in horror in general it's always given a platform for women to try to reclaim whether yeah. it whatever the intent may be to reclaim have a reclamation of of these things for themselves and find their power in these roles um i mean no matter what, role, what the intent right? was, what like, was written. what a role to do as like Joan yeah. Crawford, right? At that time. A woman yeah. who like, because like very much what you're saying, like I think that in Hollywood in the past and, and even very much so now, the clock for women and the clock for men are very different. Like once you hit a certain age yes. as a woman, like you either have to decide that you're going to pretend like you're not aging and that you're remaining in your 30s for the rest of your life and you're going to dye your hair and you're going to get your Botox and you're going to continue to like pursue roles that are that or you're going to succumb to nature and decide that mm -hmm. you're going to forever be playing these like old mothers whatever kinds of characters whereas for men like yeah freaking brad pitt aged like he's old and he's still considered 
yeah. a silver fox. You know what I mean? Like he's still considered There's a, a breadth sex of symbol. roles that he can play. He can play an action. He can play like an action, like stunt man. Yeah. At his age and with his grades, but like that, the option you would be given to a woman of the same age, yeah, with her grades showing, you know, it's really interesting. I think something that's just fun is like the psychobitty horror genre. Like I think of like American Horror Story, you know, like it's given strong material (laughs) and and second win to like to like a lot of the career of women, like Jessica Lange, like Kathy Bates, Angela Bassett, like they all kind of got a second wind and and got to play some really strong roles um that all could fall into this in this psycho bitty genre you know and i think that there's something to be said right about like pearl right this like elderly woman who so clearly is so jealous of these women and they're kind of going against the grain and it's like they're doing something that's that's brave or like a reclamation of their sexuality where when the rest of the world kind of views it as like a degrading thing that is inappropriate that you shouldn't be doing and they have that conversation about like look everyone likes sex everyone likes to get off we just accept that and pearl kind of is in that wavelength right she's like yeah everyone gets off and i didn't realize that until i was way too old to accept it and now i'm so jealous of these young people that they recognize that that i'm gonna kill all of them it's an interesting framing Brittany still puts it like perfectly like when asked about like what it was about she's like it's a story about time and beauty people who take it for granted versus those who are running out of time and how mm-hmm. scary it is for them i think it's like beautifully put you know like people who take it for granted like it's like they're not thinking about it it's flippant to them like, it's just like a thing that they do and it's a thing that they can do while for pearl and Howard, like they don't they don't have as easy access to that part of themselves anymore yeah it's it's harder for them um and so that 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 is where the jealousy stems from i mean there we go that's that's x that's x do you have any more thoughts on x i mean probably but like that oh i do want to <laughs> i think there's one thing that i did want to do so we kind of talked about the final girl right like the traditional sense are kind of parameters for um the final girl so my question for you is how well does maxine fit into that trope for you like what boxes does she check off for you so i think she checks off being a brunette (laughs) (laughs) yes checks off being having a shared relationship shared relationship with the killer i mean it's not as as on the nose as others she's literally the same person but i think I mean, it's meant to be that way, you know, it's it's built that way, um, which is intentional. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, her name is Maxine, could be Max, she's she a sex name yeah. still, technically. Yeah, I think that's definitely purposeful, honestly. <laughs> she's not virginal. She's not virginal, but she has a lot of um, purity that she that she's running away from. So I think that to me, she she checks off a pretty... Uh, picture perfect final girl what about you yeah i think so too i mean like the the biggest thing that i think you could argue is that she's not a virgin but also not all final girls are virgins and even in like old old school horror films like sometimes it's more to do with like they're actively like not interested in like forming new relationships or they're like so like and so I think that her yeah. naivete and her innocence kind of encompasses that for me. So I'm accepting the fact that no, she's not virginal, but she does have that quality. And something about like the this the virgin like check box or whatever, 
um, I was doing some reading earlier and a lot of people say that that may just be like a self mythologizing idea like that, that being a virgin is closely tied to being the final girl because it is in, it's in less examples than more basically. Yeah. Like it's, it's a very small sampling of final girls who are actually virgin. So that might be something that could be a, on a personal parameter, you know, fudged right. with or not really considered. She's intelligent and resourceful, absolutely. So I think that she's totally a final girl. And the fact that she survives the film. And not yeah. only survives the film, she's also one of the final girls that actually kills her killer. She, like, does the deed, yeah. you know? She's not rescued. She, makes, she, she gives the final blow. Yeah. So that's pretty she's cool. Pretty, she's pretty epic. I really, I really do like Maxine a lot. Like, it, yeah. this watch made me really uh, take to her. She's one of my... One of, uh, my favorite modern final girls for sure. Yeah. Should we do the game? Yeah. So we're we're gonna be <laughs> okay. Okay, goodness. Let me find it. So we're kind of incorporating some fun games in our podcast here for you guys today <laughs> and for us, honestly. Um. <laughs> so I have gone to IMDb's like homepage and they have uh, a list of actors and people in the industry who were born on today today we're recording this on september 21st so i'm just gonna read out to kamari here wait where'd he go the i, I i've selected a, an actor um and i'm gonna read out the top four like known for films that pop up for this actor <laughs> i feel like you're gonna get this but also like i don't know i feel like i might not have gotten this so no pressure so we have okay, let's hear it. The Last King of Scotland, The Butler, Battlefield Earth, and Black Panther. It's Forrest Whitaker, right? Yeah, it's Forrest Whitaker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, Battlefield Earth? <laughs> Battlefield Earth is a very, very interesting choice. I love Forrest Whitaker. Great, great He's actor. He's great. We love Forrest Whitaker is a is a friend of the pod. So let me, let me, because earlier I was talking, telling you this. Let me just read you the first line of his IMDb profile. Okay. <laughs> Forrest Stephen Whitaker has packaged a king-sized talent into his hulking <laughs> six-foot, two-inches, 220-pound frame. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> that is, that's that the first insane. That's the first sentence of his That is an profile. insane <laughs> That is an insane thing. Why do I need uh, that information? Did his did his manager draft that up? I don't, I don't his PR person? Know. I don't understand who his child maybe. I don't that's <laughs> that's weird um okay we're big fans of forest here i really am sweet i guess that's i guess that's yeah, i guess we did it i guess we did it thank you so much for listening so next week we will be um watching and discussing the next film in our final girls category so that's going to be the film scream as we mentioned before we're going to go most recent to like backwards in time so we hit our 2020s we're going to go into the 90s 90s Yes. Um, yes. With the classic. I'm so excited for Scream. One of my favorite horror films of all time, honestly. So I can't wait to rewatch it and, and look into it. Sydney. <laughs> hey, Sydney. 
that good? Yes, that was good. Good job. <laughs> Please subscribe and follow us along on this journey.